Hello, this is Willard Watson, and you're listening to rom to go your go-to source for arts and history. Today, we have an interview with Kelly McCoy, also known as the River Girl. Kelly McCoy is a marine biologist by training and a fly fishing guide by trade. She has made herself part of the landscape in the high country with her business, River Girl Fishing Company, located in Todd, North Carolina. Kelly and her wife, Renata, operate this business out of an historic train depot. They teach fly fishing, lead eco-tours, rent kayaks, inner tubes, bikes, and canoes. Kelly is also an EMT and volunteer firefighter. This interview was conducted at the River Girl Fishing Company in Todd, North Carolina in January 2018. We're next to a wood stove with two of her dogs, so you may hear them barking or snoring during the interview. This is part of the exhibit, The Way Watauga Works, so the questions focus on Kelly's work history and her journey to becoming the River Girl. Kelly is a character, and I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I did. My name is Kelly McCoy, and I joke and call myself the real McCoy, not to be confused with the Hatfields and the McCoys. I'm originally from a little town in Alabama called Hoax Bluff. What did your parents do for a living, and did you contribute to the family income or help your parents in their work in any way? My father was a steel worker, and then he fished bass tournaments in his spare time. I joke and tell people that I helped him on that aspect, and that's how I got into my fishing career. My mom was a house cleaner, and she took on side jobs working at Walmart or helping friends out. But I definitely contributed to the family because I did the housework, I learned how to make biscuits, I, you know, learned how to cook. I would go with mom and help her on certain things. What do you do? Gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> Here at River Girl Fishing Company, it started off uh, 11 years ago to teach fly fishing, guide fly fishing, sell fishing licenses, and educate about the river. In that 11 years, it's turned into a tubing rental company, a kayaking rental company. We do eco-tours where I float the river with people and talk about the health of the river, the education of the river, how to protect it, do bicycle rentals for railroad grade road. Gosh, what else? It's turned into a huge outfitting business is what it's turned into because of the need for the community. River Girl's been around for 11 years now, and uh, were you working in this similar type of industry before that? No. When I lived in Alabama, I started out in aquaculture, raising catfish, tilapia, aquatic creatures for food. I got an internship out in Mississippi, so I left Alabama, went to Mississippi, did the six-month internship, ended up... uh, you know, finishing the internship and and saying, where do I go now? So I I went with the flow of life, and I stayed in Mississippi another six months, working there at the Delta Aquaculture Station, and ended up getting my residency in Mississippi. So I ended up going to Mississippi State University to get a fisheries science degree. So that's where I got my nickname, River Girl, was at Mississippi State. So when I graduated there, I was like, okay, where do I go now? Florida called me. So I went down to Florida and I worked five years down there as a marine biologist. We vacationed up here two years in a row and I floated this river two years in a row and I fell in love with it and I was just made a plan to get up here on this river. So we sold everything and moved up here and I didn't have a job. 
So I worked for a year looking for a job, couldn't find one, worked on getting pregnant via artificial insemination. After nine inseminations, got pregnant, and then I started River Girl. Or I think I started River Girl, and then I got pregnant. <laughs> but anyways, it all came about really quickly. And so what I have done for my whole life is work with fish, researched fish and investigated fish and done research projects and stuff on fish. How did you decide on this career? Well, when I moved up here, I was looking for fisheries jobs and everything was coming up for the coast because after I graduated from Mississippi State, all my work-related things were marine. So everything was coming up on the coast. Nothing was coming up up here, and I couldn't find anything. So I actually started River Girl not here in this train depot, but over inside the bakery, the mercantile bakery that's here in, in Todd. And I opened it upstairs in a little tiny room. I have a 200-gallon fish tank downstairs in the education room. So it was me, the 200-gallon fish tank, a desk for tying flies, building rods. And, uh, and it started off just tiny and quaint like that. And then this building became available, so I moved River Girl over here. And everyone that came in, like every two or three people would say, can we rent a kayak? And I was like, nope, but I'll take you fishing. <laughs> then someone else would come in and say, hey, can we rent some inner tubes? And I was like, uh, no, but I'll teach you how to fly fish. <laughs> and then someone would come in, hey, can we rent bikes for the road? And I'm like, no, I don't have any bikes, but I've got fishing rods. You know, so I was like, okay, maybe I should get some kayaks. Maybe I should get some tubes. So I started the outfitting portion with the Tahoe that's sitting out front, or it's, it's over in the corner over there, and a 5 by 8 trailer, and I bought two tubes. I bought two kayaks, and I, as I rented those out, I bought more. As I rented those out, I bought more. So I've never taken out any, per se, loans to like buy the equipment. I've bought equipment as I made money and I just put it back into it and put it back into it. So slowly over the 11 years, we're now up to having 150 tubes in the backyard, 50 something boats, kayaks, canoes, or tandems or kids kayaks. I started the biking program out with used bicycles from friends' houses, but then people would call me three miles down the road and say, hey, the brakes went out, <laughs> can you come get me? So I was like, okay, maybe I need to get some nice bikes. So I worked with Boom Bike, um, Shaw and Sarah down there, and they helped me outfit with a fleet of their bicycles. And so now I have brand new bicycles, and it's really just fell into my lap and worked out perfectly. You know, I believe in doing the right thing, doing good karma, and everything's just come back really nicely. How would you say things have changed since you started? As far as the business, it's gotten really fast and fast-paced. It's a fast-paced business. I tell customers that come here, we're either slow as molasses right now in December, or it's just nuts because there'll be 40 people coming here and line up, and it's just making sure everybody's got a life jacket, making sure they've signed the waiver, making sure they've left their keys, they've got the right footwear on. See these shoes? Mm -hmm. These are our lost souls. <laughs> so these are comprised of flip-flops, Crocs, jelly shoes, and I think there's a pair of high heels up there somewhere, but <laughs> it amazes me what people will try to wear down the river, but it's just become really fast-paced. Mm -hmm. That's how it's, it's changed. Again, it goes back to its slow period when we're in the wintertime, so...
are there specific times of day or the week or the year that you work? Yeah, so we're open April to November, but November back to April, we're reservation-based because I still have fishermen that want to go fishing when it's 20 degrees outside, and I try to talk them into waiting till it's like 33 or 34 because I don't like having to crack the ice out of my guides. But that's our season to be open, April, November. We're busiest from Memorial Day through Labor Day. You know, when the kids get out of school and before the kids go back into school. Describe a typical work day. It could entail, since I'm the owner, like for me, I could come in and suit up and take people fishing while the staff are here running the boats and the kayaks and the the tubes and things. Or I could come in here and check in customers. I could hop in the bus and tell the spiel about the history of the river and take people out. I work right alongside all the staff. So if I'm not out fishing or teaching fishing or doing an eco tour, then I'm here helping them outfit customers and get them on the river. So what type of people do you work with? Like Most of the staff are either locals that live uh, here in Todd or um, some of the college kids from ASU. Because to do this job, you need to be strong. <laughs> you need to have a good public face because people come here and they're excited to go down the river. So you don't need someone who's going to be like, okay, get your life jacket, sign a waiver. You need you know a fresh face to, to get them keep them pumped about going. Uh, most of the staff that work here work here five to six years at a time until they're old enough to fly away to their real positions in life. The customers that come in could be locals or uh, most of the people that come here are off the mountain. So they're coming from Charlotte, Raleigh, Wilmington. They're coming from hot places up to the cool place to cool off and float the river. What do you do with downtime at work? Whew, rest. <laughs> when we get all the customers on the water, there's always something here to do. But I tell the staff, if you've put out 20 people and you've had some high-need customers <laughs> and they've tested your patience or your stress levels and stuff, come back here and grab, grab something to eat and go sit by the creek back here and kind of de-stress and uh, take some time to regroup. We usually set up games out front, so we'll have the uh, cornhole boards. I had a staff here a few years back that set up these boards in the backyard where he would throw knives. And so if he would have some customers that would really get on his nerves, <laughs> I would know. If he was in the front yard playing cornhole, he's having a great day. If he's in the backyard throwing knives, <laughs> he's having a rough day. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of neat. He taught some of the other staff how to throw knives. He taught me how to throw a knife. And uh, it's quite an art, throwing a knife and getting it to stick in a board. That was a fun summer. Most of them come in and they're really excited. And, you know, it's been neat to see some of the families that, that came here 10 years ago that still come here. And I met their kids at 5 years old, and now their kids are 15 years old. And they're coming here to volunteer. They're coming here to, like, work part-time and do some things too most of the customers are really really good but yeah you'll have some of those that are really high need and really want you to you know bend over backwards for them and we do I mean because you do that when you want to keep your customers but 
in the same turn, if you get riled up, you need to let that steam off. Does your occupation have any special sayings or jargon? There's one that I've said ever since we started, and it's live, learn, fish, you know, because I think the normal saying was like, live, learn, love, or something like that, and so I was like, ah, let's, let's change it up a little bit. And then when I sign all my emails or if I do handwritten letters and stuff, instead of doing best wishes, I do best fishes. And then sometimes I do Finn Searly instead of Sin Searly because that's my son's name. Mm -hmm. His name's Finn. Um, and then sometimes I do over and trout instead of over and out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I try to do everything with fish because I always have fish on the brain. What are things about your work that outsiders would not expect? Probably how hard it is because... You don't know how many times I hear, gosh, you got to love your job. you got to love being able to just take somebody fishing and make $200 or $300. Um, wow, this is the life, taking people and putting them on the river. I said, it is, and, and really it is. I really love my job. I love my life. I love living here. I love everything about it. But it's hard because when you take someone fishing, you're not fishing. So it took me a little while to get used to taking someone fishing and not fishing. So my hands are here, you know, and I have an extra rod in here and I'm pointing and saying, okay, old George is sitting over there. You got to put that fly right there and drift it. But what do they do? They throw it up in the tree. So guess what I'm doing? I'm climbing the tree, getting that fly out, or I'm yanking that fly down and I'm retying a fly on. So I don't mean this in a rude way, but guiding fishing is like babysitting. It's hard babysitting, <laughs> especially in the winter when it's really cold outside and your fingers are like freezing off. And like I was out two weeks ago and it was so cold and I doubled my socks up and everything, but like you're in 40 degree water. And so my feet got so cold, they felt like ice cubes. I really felt that if I stepped on them too hard, they might just crack and bust open because they were so cold, but, and then loading a trailer full of kayaks, loading up 50 tubes for a church group that's coming, and you're excited, and you're fun, and you're excited for them, it's hard work, and when, you know, you got to get two more tubes on, and you're stretching to squeeze them in, it's really hard, hard work, so I think that's what a lot of folks don't realize about this business, is it is a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work, too. What were originally the most difficult aspects of your job? Planning where you were going to put people in. Planning where you were going to take people out. Making sure you have all your insurances covered, like building insurance, vehicle insurance, outfitter insurance. Making sure you're just covered on all aspects so that this fun thing you're doing for people, you're not hurting them or injuring them or putting them in a dangerous position, planning and organizing and just making sure the taxes are paid, making sure you're good with Uncle Sam, all those kind of things. And we have, you know, the youngest to go down the river is probably six months old. We let babies go down that river, but I make sure that the mother is gonna hold the baby, the baby's in a life jacket, and I make sure the father or the parent, the other parent, is actually paddling or steering or navigating or in another tube attached 
So whoever's holding the baby, that's your only job is to hold on to the baby. We have a group that comes up from Linville. Her name's Effie. And they're in their late 70s and 80s. And there are six or seven women that come up and go tubing. And I think our oldest came out last year. He was 87 years old. Paddled his own boat. Wow. And then we have handicapped folks that come out. You know, we try to accommodate anyone that wants to come out and float the river. My mother is a double amputee with the legs. And so the staff, I pick my mother up and put her in a kayak, and the staff help me pick her up in the kayak and walk her into the water, and she paddles the river. But, you know, but we go with her, so in case she flips out or, or something. What's the most satisfying part of your job? Oh, gosh. It's seeing the happiness that that river, that the outdoors brings to people. And about three or four years ago, a little kid came up to me, maybe five or six years old, and came up and tugged on my shorts and goes, Miss River Girl, I just needed to tell you, this was the coolest thing that I did with my parents this summer. And I was like, wow, it wasn't Disney World. It wasn't a water park. It wasn't, it was floating this little docile river out here. What advice would you give someone that wants to work on the river? I would say just do your homework. Know that it's, it's expensive. <laughs> Those boats are really expensive. The insurances are really expensive. But just do your homework. And I would really recommend going and interning or volunteering at an outfitter so you could see behind the scenes what it's going to be like because so many people try to get into this business and then they realize how hard it is and they end up selling it. Just doing your homework and knowing all the details of what you'd be doing. Describe a memorable moment. Gosh, I could list 24 or more. <laughs> um, and so I'm trying to think which one I was going to tell you about. Um, so I'll tell you a fish one, and then I'll... Can I tell you two? Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> I've got like a million, I could tell you. So when my son was about four or five years old, he obviously loves to fish because I do. So he was out in the backyard, and he would be out there with just a little, little Zebco 33 with a little Rebel Crawfish, and he would fish in the backyard, and, you know, and I would let him do it on his own and I would be in here working and so he would holler mommy I got I got one I got one so he's like four or five so I run out and of course he's landed a tree fish or a rock fish or a stone fish or a stump fish or a he's hooked up on something and I'd have to get his hook out it's that boy cries wolf type thing you know he's he's yelling mommy I got one I got one I'm like okay Finn I'll be there in just a minute because I was actually in the middle of like loading a kayak into the back of someone's car or something. I was tied up. And so it took me a few minutes to get down there. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, he's hooked on a, a tree or a log or something. I get down there finally. He has got a brown trout about 18 inches long that he has caught. He has pulled it up onto the grass. He has taken a bucket of water and wet the grass. He is wetting the fish because I've taught him 
that you always touch a fish with wet hands so you don't take their slime off because their slime is their protective barrier that protects them against parasites and bacteria and so forth. So I run down there and I'm like, oh my gosh, Finnegan, what? Couldn't you have told me you actually caught a fish? <laughs> you know, because you always say, I dot one, I dot one, but you've caught a tree or something. He's like, look, mommy, I'm keeping him wet so he stays alive. So I wet my hands and I picked that fish up and I put that fish back in the creek and I actually had my GoPro camera on, on me. So I got a video of that fish swimming away, which was pretty cool. But you know, I take fishermen in this creek and they catch little ones like eight to 10 inches. And my son catches one at four years old, 18 inches long. It was, it was pretty cool. It was right there, and he was just spending his own time doing his own little thing and being a boy and catching a, you know, a big fish. That's not his only big fish. So I'll tell you his other story. It's not the, the other story I was going to tell you, but we used to live about a half a mile down the road off of one of the low water bridges, and we were fishing one afternoon, and he was fishing with his little Zebco. He knows how to fly fish, but he catches more fish with the rebel crawfish. So he's catching little rock bass. And so he would catch a rock bass and he would always have a five gallon bucket because what he would do with these little fish is take them off, put them in the bucket, examine them, keep them in there for about 10 minutes and then let them back go. So he's been catching rock bass all day and I'm down there and I'm fly fishing and I'm catching some trout. So he said, mommy, can I use yours for a minute? And I'm like, sure. So I do what other parents do. I get on my phone and I'm checking my email, I'm checking my Facebook or whatever as he's, he's fishing with a dry fly, little, little tiny little parachute atoms, he hooks into a fish, and he's like, Mommy! Mommy! So I drop the phone. The rod is bent over like this, and it's a bamboo rod. Not, not a nice bamboo rod, but an old bamboo rod. And I see this fish. It's huge. So I go, Finn, give me that rod, because I knew he'd never get it up onto the bridge. I pick that fish up and get it get it up onto the bridge I put it in the bucket it hangs out by six inches it's like 25 inches long and I have a picture of that fish I don't know if you can see it over there where it says never question the captain's judgment I used to have a captain's license but anyways um that's the fish sitting under that picture over there um and it broke the rod the tip of the rod <laughs> but that fish went back into the river too but that was his biggest fish and he hooked it i landed it but because wow. he probably wouldn't have gotten it in yeah that's but awesome. but that's his two big fish stories but my other story that I really really wanted to tell you was that see all these shoes that are up here mm -hmm. okay I never owned a pair of Crocs because I couldn't justify spending $30 on foam you see these shoes I've got a pair of Crocs now <laughs> okay I've had them almost 10 years now I don't recommend for people to wear Crocs on the river because they're usually oversized and they slip off your feet real easy. So people lose them on the river. But I wanted a pair, so that's why we started collecting these lost souls. I would tell customers, when you find these, see if you can find me a pair of size eights. It doesn't matter if the colors are the right size. And the way we've collected these is the first Tuesday of each month, we do Trashy Tuesdays. So we put all of our boats out for free for people to pick up trash. And whoever brings back the most trash, I give a free fly fishing lesson to. Whoever brings back the coolest piece of trash, which could be an Etch-a-Sketch, 
a baby doll head, a Spider-Man head, a Wells Fargo box. Who knows what you're going to pick up off the river. They get a free t-shirt. But uh, anyways, while they're out collecting garbage, I tell them to bring back the flip-flops and the Crocs because I want to hang them up to show people what not to wear. I had a pair, or a, not a pair, a couple of college kids that came out on a Friday and they said, hey, we heard that if we pick up garbage, we can get a free kayak rental. I said, well, I do it the first Tuesday of each month because I can't afford to do it every day. And they, they said, oh, well, we drove all the way out here thinking. And I was like, you know what? I said, okay, I'll let it go this time. And I said, so if y'all pick up garbage, you can have a, a free kayak rental. So they saw what I was doing with the shoes. They took their free kayak rental. They came back, brought me their garbage and everything. I didn't give them any prizes, you know, just let them just go for free. Do you know they came back the next weekend with these shoes? They bought me a pair of Crocs and gave them to me and said that was so nice of me to, to let them go kayaking for free because that was like a $70 value that I gave them. So they bought me a pair of $30 Crocs and I got my pair of Crocs. That's nice. Just goes to show it being nice will do for you. And they continued to come out here for another six or seven years until the girl graduated and moved off moved off the mountain. And they still, I think they've come back up here, you know, whenever they're up here. But I just thought that was so nice, mm -hmm. you know? How long have you been fly fishing? Oh, gosh. So this is 2017, probably 23 or 24 years. I learned how to fly fish in Mississippi on the campus of Mississippi State University because in my fisheries classes, I had a guy that said he was going to start a fly fishing club. And I was like, oh, a fly fishing club? I'm like, and who would think about fly fishing in Mississippi? You know? But, but that's what I thought, and that's what most people think when they come up here, is you can only fly fish for trout. You can fly fish for anything that's got fins and gills. So I learned to fly fish for, for brim in a bass pond when I first started out. Prom to Go is produced by Willard Watson, with support from Maeko Shiratori. Music by Melissa Ed. The Way Watauga Works exhibition was made possible with support by the Smithsonian Institute's Traveling Exhibition Service, Museum on Main Street, and North Carolina Humanities. Thanks for listening. <laughs>